Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Fifty. Nothing personal. Word of the day for July 21st, 2021 is 50. It's a magical number for the Milwaukee Bucks. It's been 50 years since the Bucks won the title with Lou Alcindor. You may know him as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. The Big O, Oscar Robertson. The triple-double king of the NBA until Russell Westbrook and his ringless finger came along. Last night... I had such emotion watching the Bucks win for so many reasons. I lived in Milwaukee in 1971. I was three years old. I have no recollection at all of being in a city that is celebrating a championship. None. I just remember loving the Bucks in the first basketball game I ever went to. I believe they were playing that time in the Mecca. And I fell in love with basketball. I ended up moving to New York the next year or two years later, and was lucky enough to become a Knicks fan. Except it was after the Knicks had won their two titles with Willis Reed in 69-70, Walt Frazier, Roman Rowe in 72-73. And I know that from looking at those banners at Madison Square Garden for all those years. When you love a team so much and love a city so much, all you want is for them to win. That's it. I just want to win a championship. And you say to yourself, it's so hard to do, but then your friends who live in Chicago or Detroit have done it and they do it again. And you can't beat those teams. You go to a game in 1994, you beat the Indiana Pacers and Reggie Miller. You go to the finals as a fan and you feel as though this is the greatest moment of my sporting life. There will never be another time because it's been so long. You travel to Houston to watch John Starks shoot two for 18 and Akeem Olajuwon win two home games back to back because back then it was 2-3-2, not 2-2-1-1-1. And you say to yourself, it'll happen again. And then the Knicks get back in 1999. Patrick Ewing gets hurt and the Knicks lose to the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich. To win a championship as a fan of a team where your relationship is so deep that it is even beyond emotional, it hurts when the team loses. The feeling of ecstasy when it wins is indescribable. I was in a World Series championship clinching clubhouse as president of a team that won a World Series and the best feeling I ever had in sports in my entire life was not crossing a finish line in the Hawaii Ironman. It was not doing any other of the events I've done personally or the things I did as a member of the Marlins. The number one moment I ever had 
was beating the Indiana Pacers 94-90 in Game 7 of the 1994 Eastern Conference Finals, saying to myself, the Knicks are going to the Finals. I've been watching them play for 19 years, and they're going to the Finals finally. They ended up losing, but it doesn't take away the feeling I had after the Eastern Conference Finals. Think about that. That's my height, my number one. Now there are people in Milwaukee waking up this morning, 50 years, a personal moment in a nothing personal show is there is no small irony to me that my dad, who passed away in February of this year, was a huge Milwaukee Bucks fan. He wanted to live to see the Bucks win another title because he hadn't seen one in 50 years. And uh, he didn't make it. I hope he was watching the game. Don't know if I believe in that or not. Don't know if they've got AirPods up there or down there or wherever people may go. I just wish that I'd been able to call them after they won. Ooh, excuse me. Ooh. <clears throat> the thing about sports and why I took it so seriously and why I never let the criticisms bother me about how I was doing is I knew what I was really trying to do is help people make connections, help families make connections, help friends, help businesses. And the best way to do it is with sports. The best networking, the best feeling of togetherness. When you watch the game last night and you see 65,000 people in Milwaukee, an extremely diverse city, watching that game in the Deer District, plus another 20,000 inside, sports brings people together in a way that politicians can't, in a way that any sort of view of the, the commonality of interest transcends sports in a way that it doesn't do with anything else. And that's why people who run teams have such a great responsibility. And that's why when they fail, as I have many times, the impact is far more ranging than if you fail at a different job where the impact is the 10 people who go to a restaurant where you have a cockroach in your pancakes. It sucks, but you're not breaking the emotional bond or the possibility of that emotional bond in a city. When you've got a player who feels the same way about your city as you do and understands the connection that people have, understands what winning can do for a city, then you've got yourself a superstar. And if that player can also be the best player on the court and understand the moment and then get that moment and make sure not to let it go, you have found extraordinary. You have found a unicorn. And Giannis of the Milwaukee Bucks is that unicorn. Giannis is going to be known as a unicorn because he scored 50 points in a clinching game, becoming the second player in NBA history to score over 50 points, 50 or more points in an NBA finals clinching game. Not Michael Jordan, not Shaquille O'Neal, not Kobe Bryant, not LeBron James, not Dwayne Wayne, a guy named Bob Pettit. In 1958, 
for the St. Louis Hawks. That was the last time a player, any player, scored 50 points in a clinching game. But yes, there were tons of players over time who have scored 50 points in a finals games. So many, I'm going to try to remember them off the top of my head. Here I go. Help me, Coca. I'm going to say a guy named Elgin Baylor playing for the Lakers. Let me think. Bob Pettit for the St. Louis Hawks, for sure. Michael Jordan for the Bulls. Rick Barry for the San Francisco Warriors. Giannis for the Milwaukee Bucks. Hmm. Am I missing anyone? How about the guy with the logo? Jerry West. <laughs> That's it. That's the list. There are a lot of names I didn't hear. I heard LeBron. I heard Jordan. I heard West. I heard Barry. I heard Pettit. I heard Baylor. Six people have ever scored 50 points. Only one of those in the clinching game. Giannis said, I am a Milwaukeean. Giannis said, I did this my way. Didn't need a super team. I needed super players and I needed a super coach and I needed to be in a super city. And then he put on his cape and he scored 47% of the points last night and willed his team to victory because he could not be stopped. And that wasn't the best part of what happened last night in Milwaukee with Giannis. Giannis finishes the game. And what I saw in him reminded me, there was one player who it reminded me of on the Marlins, Dontrell Willis. When we won the World Series in 2003, the look on Dontrell Willis's face, the joy that he had understanding the historic nature of his season, the historic nature of what the Marlins had just done, how difficult it is to do, and the reality that you may likely never do it again, ever, made him present in the moment. And Giannis is so cerebral that he was able to articulate that before game six even started. When he talked about living in the past and how that's just ego, but life should be spent in the present. How many of us live in the past and talk about it and think about it? There's songs written about it, glory days. They'll get you by, glory days. But people who are able to live in the present and create their own future by being present in the present are people you want around you, in your business, in your family, in your life. The people who sit around and reminisce, I love reminiscing, but I want to make new memories. I love looking at old photos. I want to take new photos. I love thinking about things I've accomplished. I want to accomplish more different things. I said, I, I actually believe in everything I just said, but what about you? What about Giannis? One of the great blocks in NBA history in game four, maybe game five, whichever game it was, the Bucks won four in a row. How about all the people who said that this final stinks when the Suns went up two nothing, they're never going to win another game. This Bucks would be lucky if they win one game. The Bucks won four games in a row and are now world champions. Giannis celebrated with the fans, came out of the locker room. He was dancing, taking pictures, doing live Instagram videos. He was emotional. 
Think about where he had come from, the sacrifices that his family made. You remember when he was drafted? He was drafted out of Greece. People wondering, could it be? Will he be? And then he has two MVPs, a defensive player of the year, uh-oh, and a finals MVP, all at the age of 26. I think it's time that people started realizing that Giannis is one of the top three players, at least in the NBA. Of course, the immediate disrespect to the Bucks is by all of the people who bet, all of the people who bet futures. Do you know what the Bucks are to repeat as finals champions next year? The futures odds are out if you're on them. Guess who's favored? The New York Nets. Brooklyn Nets. Guess who's number two? Los Angeles Dodgers. The Bucks are like plus 900 to repeat. When I was a Knicks fan, there was a player who played for us. His name was Monty Williams. He's now a coach. He coached the Phoenix Suns. It's hard when you're a coach and you lose because you have to meet the media. You have to meet your team. Monty Williams went a step above that, and he went into the Cubs, to the Bucks clubhouse. And he said to them while they were celebrating, and they all stopped to listen to Monty. Monty has overcome some unspeakable tragedies. And he said, I want to thank each and every one of you for making my team a better team and making me a better coach. He congratulated them on their victory. He got an applause. And then he left and let them celebrate. That is not often that coaches are able to summon the humility, courage, and strength to walk into an opposing team's clubhouse during a celebration. I was approached outside the clubhouse celebration by Joe Torrey when Joe Torrey congratulated me in 03. I tweeted this very late last night because it made me think of it. What Monty Williams did, it immediately came into my head that Joe Torrey congratulated us on winning the World Series and then told me the first one feels really good, but it's the second one that you will chase forever and feel better. That was sort of the quote, something like that. I was chasing that second one for the next 14 years. Never got to feel it, never got to make a comparison. Much to my dismay, much to my chagrin. I also noticed last night the Milwaukee Bucks owners and the feeling the players had to the owners. People may think that I was unpopular, that Jeffrey was unpopular, people hated us. I'll tell you in 2003, there were enough hugs from players to go around. Players love you when you're playing. They love you when you're winning. The Bucks have had their shares in up and downs with this new ownership group, none of whom are Milwaukeeans. They've done a lot of winning, not coincidentally having brought in Giannis, and that has led to an unbelievable amount of winning. One of the things that you have to practice, even though you don't want to, even though you think it's a jinx, when you are an owner of a team, you have to practice what you're going to say to the fans when you get the microphone from the sideline reporter after winning a championship. I spent time talking to Jeffrey about it when we were up 3-2 going into New York, I just said, please remember, you have to thank the Yankees, but the number one thing you have to do is thank the fans. You start with the fans because you say they're the most important. You may not agree with it. You may think that Pudge is the most important. You may think that Giannis is the most important. You may think that Middleton was the most important. Not getting Bogdanovich was the most important. Getting Drew Holiday was the most important. Trading for Conine was the most important. There are a thousand things that you could say, 
Thank God for Josh Beckett throwing a complete game. Thank you, Jack McKeon, for being old and awesome. Thank you to Coach Budenholzer for coming over and doing what you did. You could do all those stuff, things, but you start with the fans. You get one chance to do it if you only win one title. You want to hold that trophy and say, this trophy is for you. Because as a fan, you want to feel connected. You want to build a lifetime generational relationship, and you don't want to screw it up. Speaking as someone who screwed it up. So the owner gets the microphone. Foremost, I want to thank the players. Yeah, the players did a good job. They certainly did. But you need your fans. You know who else you didn't thank? The owner, Mark Lazary. You didn't thank Herb Cole. Herb Cole is someone that no one thinks about anymore unless you're from Milwaukee. Herb Cole, you may know him as a senator from Wisconsin. You may know him as Cole's department stores, his family. Herb Cole was the owner of the Bucks, and when he sold the Bucks to this group, there was a provision in the sale that guaranteed that the Bucks would stay in Milwaukee. There was some question, will these men from Wall Street come and take our Bucks away? The Bucks needed a new arena. And Herb Cole said, not only are you keeping the team here, but in return for keeping the team here from the proceeds of this sale, where more money was made by me and my family than I ever could have dreamt of when I bought this team so many years ago. I am taking hundreds of millions of dollars of that proceeds, and I'm putting it into the construction of a new ballpark that will accrue to the benefit of my community in Milwaukee. Of course, it'll also prove to the benefit of the players and the new owners. But why not thank Herb Cole if you're the Milwaukee Bucks? Because he's not memorable, because he's old. He may be passed away. I don't even know if he's, I really don't know the answer to that, Coca. God, as I get older, more people get in that category. Is he alive or is he dead? That's a terrible category to be in. He was a very nice man, Herb Cole. I would have liked, I would like him to have, by chance, been thanked. Congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks. Congratulations to Adam Silver. Congratulations to all 30 teams. You made it. A lot of complaining about injuries, a lot of complaining about what happened during the course of the season, the protocols, the violations, the back-to-back-to-backs. Herb Cole, if you're listening to this, thank you. You are alive. You're 86. God, he should have been there if he's healthy enough, and he should have been thanked. Congratulations to all of us who got to go to games again. That's a you, not an us. I didn't get to go. I haven't gone. Seeing all those people together cheering, it made me feel like we have a chance. That's what sports does. We have a chance. Welcome back, Milwaukee. You are a city of champions. You know, to be a champion, you actually have to have a team. People forget about that sometimes when they're complaining to on Twitter or on social media, they say, hey, we don't want to finance a stadium or an arena or a ballpark. We don't want any public money going into it. We don't care. And then when the team leaves, they're despondent and they're paid twice as much to get it back because they want the feeling that people in Milwaukee have right now. The politicians want the feeling and the fans want the feeling. And the minute you let a team go, you are guaranteed to spend more to try to get it back. 
Just go ask Seattle how much they're going to spend to get basketball back in Seattle, how much they spent to get the expansion team, the Kraken, so they could be a major league city again. Ask how much Montreal is willing to do to get baseball again. Ask how much Vancouver would give to get basketball back again. They moved to Memphis. Ask how much Brooklyn would give to get the Dodgers back. Teams have been moving forever. The key, though, is to know when you're right at the edge of losing your team and then keep it. Yesterday in Oakland was a big day for the Oakland A's. A couple of days ago, we did a show where we talked to you about what was going on in Oakland. We, maybe we didn't, Coca. I seem to recall discussing the Oakland A's situation and telling you that there was going to be a vote by the Oakland City Council. The Oakland City Council needed to secure a vote. And that vote was meant to keep the team in Oakland. We talked about Rob Manford saying this vote is the final final. And we talked about how Rob Manford said that Las Vegas is a viable option. And don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself if you think it's not. The president of the Oakland A's, Dave Cavill, gave a bunch of quotes saying, this is it. We're right at the edge of our seat. This deal gets passed. We're good. This deal does not get passed. We're bad. So they went through a commission meeting. Reminded me of all the commission meetings I went through back in 2009, 2008, before and after. Politicians negotiating. Negotiating with politicians is not easy because they're scared. They don't want to be embarrassed. People think that we embarrassed the politicians of Miami by doing the deal that we did. They don't understand that we did not. We took advantage of the fact that they wanted the Marlins to stay in Miami. That's what we took advantage of. We did not embarrass them regardless of whether the mayor was recalled or people were so quick to come out against it. Those same people who were first in line to take pictures with the World Series trophy in 03, those same people who were first in line to get autographs and meet players, those same people who were first in line to want to know and meet the captain, Derek Jeter. But then when they're asked for money, they say, oh, no, we can't do that. It's frustrating to me because in Oakland, there was a vote yesterday of six to one with one abstention. There's eight people who vote. And the ballpark deal at Harbor Terminal was passed. Congratulations, Oakland. You're keeping your team. Nope, it's not how it works. The way it works when you are dealing with the public and a city commission or county commission meeting, is if you're not prepared, then you're not exactly aware of what's going to happen. And you've got to be prepared. And the only excuse to not be prepared is he didn't work hard enough. There is not one politician who sits on the dais during a meeting, during a negotiation, who comes up with a provision to add to a contract that you were not aware of before. And if you were not aware of it before, you weren't paying attention. They don't make it up right at the dais. If they want a 15% affordable housing in your development, they don't make it up and say it's 15% today when the negotiations had always been 10. People can delude themselves when they work for a team and tell your owner everything's going to be okay. We're going to be okay at 10% affordable housing. We're building apartments around the stadium and we only want 10% to be affordable. And all of a sudden we are in the middle of a meeting and it's 15%. Poof, and that changes the economics of the deal.
When you have a commission meeting, you meet with every single commissioner, every single council member. You meet not once, not twice, not three times, not four times. You meet multiple times individually with everyone and you say to them, what is it going to take? Where are you in this negotiation that you don't like? What are your constituents telling you? We heard it all in Miami. We want more minority-owned businesses participating in the construction. We want the ability to unionize the concession workers once the building opens. We want more parks built around Miami by you. We want a guarantee to the community in this way or in that way. None of those were in the deal in the beginning. They get into the deal when you meet the people who are voting on the deal and they ask for things they want and you give what you can give. You then give a little more and then you say, I can't give that. I won't give that. You don't save it for an actual meeting. Neither side does. Because if you put something on the table as a public official that has never been heard of before by the team, and you think the team is going to say yes to it, or you think you're going to be popular when the team leaves because the team says no to it because you know for a fact there's no chance the team's going to say yes to it, and you think you're going to look good, not going to happen. You think a team is going to say yes to something they don't agree to they've never heard of? No. You think a team is going to ask in the middle of a commission meeting for something they've never asked for before? Get greedy? Try to get more than they've negotiated? No. And do you know why we don't do that? At least no one should do it. I never did it. Because everything that I asked for, I asked for in advance, and then I counted votes. So I knew exactly how many votes I needed to pass the ballpark agreements. Nine votes. And I knew exactly who the nine yes votes were. And I knew exactly how far I could get what I got. And I knew what I couldn't get, what I couldn't get because of the work I did before. Years of meetings, years, not months, years, not years of trying to get a ballpark. I'm talking about years of negotiating that specific ballpark deal at the Orange Bowl. The Oakland A's got a deal approved by their council that they don't like and are saying that they were not in favor or aware of the changes, some of these amendments that were put on the table. And that's horse hockey. No matter what they tell you in your community, if you're listening to this in Oakland, we were blown over. We were totally surprised when they asked for X, Y, and Z. Horse hockey. Dave Caval said, there's been progress in the negotiation, the president of the A's. We've moved and made concessions. The city's made concessions. But I think it's important to remember that the current term sheet even with these amendments, is not something that the A's have consensus around. It's not a term sheet we proposed with edits that we have come together in mutual agreement. I just want you all to know that if you vote yes on something that we don't agree with, that is not an effective path forward. Do you know what the council responded with? If the A's are not happy with what was produced today and are still talking about leaving after the city has bent over backwards and provided some of their best work in the interest of Oakland residents, I don't know where we go from here. After doing somersaults, after receiving insults, after being disrespected, after all the other things Oakland A's fans and Oakland residents have gone through, I don't know where we go from here. 
if they're still telling us that they are not rooted in Oakland, that they are not willing to accept what the city staff has put together, that's not a negotiation to say, do what we want or we leave. Okay, we're going to break that down. We're going to break that down. But then the mayor spoke. The mayor called this a milestone in our mission to keep the A's rooted in Oakland and build a world-class waterfront ballpark district that will benefit the community for generations to come. You know what no one talked about? The fact that it was a non-binding agreement that was being voted on, non-binding to either party. Rob Manford saying this is it. After this, last chance, last and final. A non-binding agreement means that when it is proposed and voted on six to one by a council, the Oakland A's do not have to sign it. It is not the final provisions of the agreement. Negotiations can continue. And when you are getting public financing for a public sports facility, you don't get the deal done until your fingernails are falling off the cliff and you're about to fall into the abyss. And that is where we aren't yet. Talking about being at the abyss, talking about being at the end is exactly where we are. And that's what the A's are doing. We're there. We don't see a path forward. Those are magical words that we used right before we got the actual deal, because that's the step right before the end. You need the commissioner to say we're at the end. It's not. You need the team president to say there's no path forward, but there is. You need the public to say, we've given all that we can give and we're given no more. We are shell fricking Silverstein. We are the given tree and we're out of branches. There's always a stump to sit on. There's a lot more left in this Oakland saga for you to believe that John Fisher, the owner, and Dave Cavill, the president, are going to Las Vegas today, which they are. And an announcement will be made by Oscar Goldman's wife, who's now the mayor surrounded by showgirls and all the great casinos. Hip, hip, hooray. We're going to Vegas. We're going to Vegas, baby. I'm not even giving you a wait to see. I already gave you a wait to see that they're not going to move to Vegas. I could double up on it and say they're not going to move to Vegas. I could triple up on it and say they're not moving to Vegas today. I promise you that. Not even if they take the express train from Oakland to Vegas. Express confidence. It's important. Express you. Express is all new and all about you with a fresh mix of casual, versatile, and super duper comfy clothes. Need new pants to complete your summer night look? Express has chinos, by the way. Do you know what chinos are? I do. They're like khaki pants. They have joggers. You know what those are. Those are super comfy. They've got four-way hyper-stretch jeans. I'm not loving this marketing ploy right now because I can't figure out the four ways. Are they comfortable from your waist? Are they comfortable in your tuchus? Are they comfortable toward your feet when they go tightly around your calf? Are they comfort where things expand like your hips? I don't know, but they're four-way hyper-stretch jeans. Don't ask me what the four ways are because I'm not going to tell you, but just trust me, you'll go back for more. If you want to see all these deals and it's summer, you're going to need some sort of stretch to keep your body in the shape that you want it to be in. Go to express.com, would you please? Just do Coca a favor, express.com, and get back to me on the four different ways that they hyper stretch. And then I'm 29, size 29, if you would please send me a pair. You hear that, Express? 29. Coca's Coca, what's your size? 
Talk to me, Coke. Are you alive? Are you despondent? Coke is 33. I'm 29. I'm looking for some hyper stretch. Let's go. When we come back, we're going to talk about a documentary that I watched that uh, was a tough documentary to watch. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. I have, you know, I watch a movie every day. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet and for going to express.com and for telling me which four ways are hyper stretch genes hyperly stretch. I watch a movie every day and I watch documentaries, TV shows. We did a segment on nothing personal a while back when Naomi Osaka was uh, basically kicked out of the French Open for not meeting the media. And I said that she should have met the media. She knows what her responsibilities are. She's very aware of what her responsibilities are. And I got a little pushback from people. And it's ironic because I'm all about mental health. Trust me, I want to be mentally healthier. And I work on it all the time. And I talk about it openly, and I think it's very okay and smart to talk about it. We reviewed that movie recently, Coca, um, about kids who have mental problems and the state does not uh, really support them. They're not enough beds. And how when kids are dying of cancer or dying of something else, they get a lot of attention in charity events. When people are killing other people or are mentally ill and violent, they don't get a lot of support. It was called A Dangerous Son. Thank you, Coca. That must have been like a month ago, right? I can't remember when I watched it, but uh, that was the topic. So then I watched Naomi Osaka. They did a three-part documentary on Netflix, about 40 minutes per episode. I'm not going to ruin it for you because there's nothing to ruin. They put this documentary together extremely quickly. They showed her winning a grand slam, then losing a grand slam. They did not get into at all what happened in the French Open, what's happened since the French Open, but they laid the groundwork for why Naomi is the way she is. She's extremely shy, extremely uncomfortable, was raised from the time she could barely crap in a toilet to play tennis. I have really nothing against tennis dads in general except you guys never get a chance to see the 99.99% of the crazy tennis dads whose kids don't make it to the top of tennis, whose kids become so despondent, so angry, and so rebellious that they don't pick up a tennis racket again. And somehow they feel their whole worth is matched and set up by what their father thinks of their drop shot. For all parents who want to create greatness in their kids and then take the credit for what you created, why don't you think about how the kid feels? 
Why don't you take a minute and think, does the kid really want this? Parents these days are taking kids younger and younger and trying to create them into some sort of robotic animals because there's so much money at stake. Think Naomi Osaka wanted to be playing tennis eight hours a day at the age of five? She'd say so now. Hmm, was she saying so then? Be homeschooled, have no friends, have total social anxiety disorder, have total shyness, and now what? Yo, you're right. She makes the most money of any woman player of any kind, anywhere, ever. True. Congratulations. Your daughter's rich. You happy? Is she happy? Does it matter whether she's happy? Do you want her to be happy? Or do you want her to be rich? Are you listening to her? This documentary made it clear as day that she wants to be the best because she feels as though she's letting other people down. It's not even about her. The drive is not in her. The drive is in other people whose love she wants and craves and needs. And it's defined by her success in a goddamn tennis match. It's infuriating. And you wonder why she's having some mental health issues. I watched that documentary and I was sad and I was angry because I've seen it. I've seen it live with baseball dads. I think you should watch Osaka. I really do. And I think you should start thinking to yourself, if you can, what you would do. How badly do you want it for your child? How badly do you want it? Is, is it for them to get a better life than you had? That's an excuse. I want my child to have a better life than I did. I want my child to succeed where I didn't. I'm going to put my child in with a tennis racket or with a baseball at the age of three, and I'm going to make sure. It's not like it was Steffi Graf and Andre Agassi having a kid. It was a Japanese woman and a Haitian man, or Naomi's parents. She's known as half Japanese when she goes back, when she plays for Japan, the pressure that she feels. And that is not a racist comment. There's actually a word in Japanese when you are half Japanese. And I'm completely forgetting what it was because when I was, I was just going to flex each row, which I won't do, but it came up when I was talking to each row. That's still a flex. I don't mean that to be a flex. There's a lot to learn about Japanese culture, a lot. And to learn about Japanese culture and the differences between Japanese and American culture, or Japanese and Haitian culture, you got to pay attention and you have to be very good with memory, including how you introduce yourself, including how you bow, how you exchange business cards, how you eat, where you sit. There is a proper way, and you see it with Shohei Otani or Ichiro. You see it with how respectful they are, how great they are. Naomi is a great, great person. She's into fashion. She's really trying as hard as she can to be the superstar that she is and be comfortable in her own skin. I'm just asking you to watch this and then think to yourself, is the juice worth the squeeze? Is it just about money? The irony of me saying it is not lost on me. I say everything's about money. But isn't it hard when everything's about money, but yet you're putting all of that pressure on someone who you don't know whether or not they will have the ability to do a physical act, to say nothing of have the mental strength to do it? When I tell you that it's all about business and that it's all money, I'm not telling you that I want to raise kids to have a specific skill that will guarantee them, quote unquote, being the number one tennis player in the world or the number one debater in the world or the top lawyer in the world or the top doctor in the world. 
You want to give your children the ability to make choices for themselves. And if you're fortunate enough, they make a choice that makes them happy, that makes them comfortable and is one where they can support themselves. How many kids are raised by parents to be athletes who don't make it? Almost all of them, folks. You only get to see the top of the top. Where's the documentary about Carlene Bassett? Or Jennifer Capriati? How about where's the documentary about the people whose names you've never heard of? That's what I want to know. I want to talk about the pick of the day. I take the pick of the day seriously. I pick. I know that people gamble. Coke and I had a discussion about this, and it's very important for me that you understand this. When I give you a pick of the day every day, I give you a pick that I really want to win. If I don't think it's going to win, but I do the pick for another reason, I say it. Yesterday, I picked the Suns plus five using reverse psychology because we've been so cold and therefore the Bucks would win. So if you're paying attention to nothing personal, you took the Bucks, gave the five, won the championship, won the bet. If you took the Suns, you got screwed twice. Not only did you not cover, but you lost the game. I take it as a loss because that was my pick of the day. I have never put myself out to be the number one handicapper. I still am 95 and 80. I've been as high as I think 30 games over. I've been low as 500, but I'm 95 and 80, which is not terrible, Coca, not terrible at all. But when it comes to those picks, please, Bet with your head, not with your heart. But we got a game today. No more basketball. It's baseball time, folks. It's all baseball. Some one of the listeners got into my head saying that I got to start picking more underdogs because favorites are easy to pick, which is not true. If that were true, you would never lose a drop dead pool in the NFL, right? A drop dead pool is when you pick, choose a winner with no spread, just choose one winner of one game, one week, and you live to see another week. Inside the Marlins Clubhouse, we had multiple, multiple um, pools like that. (laughs) Quick story for that, Coca. One of the only arguments I ever got into with Jose Fernandez and Tom Kohler, who were two pitchers for the Marlins at the time, you know both their names. We did a box pool inside the clubhouse And I studied the math of how hard it is to pick a right game and how many people would get eliminated. And what I did is I bought eight boxes and I took four games, both sides of the game. So I was guaranteed to get through week one, but I'd I'd be down to four boxes. Guaranteed to get to week two, I'd be down to two boxes and guaranteed to get down to week three. So many people in those box pools lose in the early weeks. I was willing to invest the money because if I won the pool, the payoff was way more than the cost of eight boxes. And Jose said to me, you're cheating. And I said, why is it cheating when you can choose a winner of a game and I'm choosing two teams who are playing each other? By definition, one of them is going to be right. One of them is going to be wrong. Why is that cheating? I'm actually giving money away by guaranteeing a loss. It's not cheating. It's actually stupid. 
I don't even know why that story got into my head, but Jose was furious. We did that in the lunchroom. And then he did it, by the way, on a side note. All right, pick of the day. Blue Jays over the Red Sox. You know, the Blue Jays are going home. Canada's opening. Yay, Canada. The Blue Jays are tied with the Yankees. They are chasing the Rays. They are chasing the Red Sox. Robbie Ray is an under-the-radar pitcher who's having a great season for the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have blue skies ahead. At the end of the month, they get to go home. The Blue Jays have been on the road the entire season. Don't call Buffalo a home game. It's not a home game by any stretch of the imagination. Toronto is a home game, and they start July 30th. When you look at their team, and you are the Rays and the Red Sox, you better look out. The Rays should add. I expect them to add by the trade deadline. And I expect that division, the AL East, with the Red Sox, the Rays, the Yankees, and the Blue Jays, I expect it to be unbelievably tight for the entire year. It will be the most exciting division to watch. But for tonight, we are going Blue Jays and Robbie Ray over the Boston Red Sox. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. When it happens, we tell you. When it doesn't happen, we tell you. Anyone remember the show on December 22nd, 2020? That was the NBA preview. I gave you my NBA preview before one game had started. The NBA preview was very clear, I said. I said, the Dallas Mavericks will beat the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference Finals. And I said, the Milwaukee Bucks will beat the Brooklyn Nets in the Eastern Conference Finals. And then I said, the Milwaukee Bucks will beat the Nets, will beat the Mavs in the NBA Finals. I call it the future bet was the Milwaukee Bucks winning the title. It was Giannis's turn. If you paid attention on December 22nd, 2020, and you made a futures bet on Milwaukee to win the title, guess what? You did well. And here's another little note for you. You can do it again. There are players who say after a championship, and they were mic'd last night in Milwaukee, you could hear Giannis talking to his coach. They were, the, his coach was wired. Giannis said, let's do this again. In our clubhouse in 03, there was such amazement that we had done it. It was so unclear where our payroll could go. We knew we weren't going to get Pudge back. We knew we'd have to trade Derek Lee. We tried to do it again and again and again and again and couldn't. Repeating is very difficult in baseball, as you know. No one since the Yankees in 98 through 2000. The Milwaukee Bucks have Giannis signed. Middleton, that group of two is not a power three. That group of two is not the best power two. That group of three with Holiday is in the top four paid top three players. Their overall payroll is like 17th in the league. Their cap number. But the Milwaukee Bucks are positioned as a middle market team. The Milwaukee Bucks are positioned to repeat. And if you think that the Lakers are not nervous or the Nets are not nervous, for all of you people saying, ah, there won't be injuries. Harden and Irving and Durant will be fine. AD and LeBron, great. It's definitely Dodgers, Nets. Well, that's what you're all saying, and that's what you're all betting, which means the future number for the Bucks is high, which means you should take it. Wait to see. I'm taking it right now. The Bucks are going to win back to back. Hell yeah. That's the show for today. It's just business.
It's nothing personal. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.